All right, uh, here is the bit. Uh, so the month of October is over, uh, and the Motion Pixels podcast. Uh, you know, we love scary movies and whatnot. We talk about scary everything. So we just wanted to make sure that your uh, holiday season, holiday being Halloween, uh, went out with a bang. So, uh, boo! Boo. <laughs> theme song. This is the Motion Pixels Podcast. I'm your co-host, August Meyer. Uh, August, say hello. Hello! Joined, of course, by my adorable moderator, uh, co-moderator, Matthew Rawlings. Matthew, say hello. Hello. And joined once again by one of the uh, baddest boys in comedy. I think currently the baddest boy in comedy. Is that correct, Dan? Yeah. Uh, joined once again by Dan Kevin Cook. Dan, Dane, say hello. Hello. Because this is the Motion Pixel Podcast. This week, uh, we'll be talking about a bunch of stuff uh, because we haven't really talked shop. You know, we haven't really talked about the thesis of this podcast, which is you know, games and movies. We haven't really talked about how the stuff we were consuming in a while. So uh, today's all about the content we've been consuming. So uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, <laughs> what's up, you beautiful bastards? Okay, so last uh, <laughs> last month I watched uh, 31 movies for the Halloween season. Uh, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but uh, in my neck of the woods, there's a global pandemic going on. So I couldn't really celebrate halloween how i how i'd like to which is to get you know just terribly sloshed in public um at you know some poor bar in chicago who has to deal with me um that was not possible this year for me so instead i watched 31 movies um to to get myself into the into the holiday spirit and uh those movies were uh the texas chainsaw massacre reanimator uh the haunting of hill house the whole first season um I split up just for reference. Uh, I split up uh, two episodes of t- television, so like two hours worth of content uh, to count as as one movie, like oh, one, okay. one of the days. Um, so I split up the first season of, of Haunting of Hill House and uh, a bunch of episodes of Lovecraft Country. It was kind of subjective uh, based on if the episode was, I, I would consider it horror or spooky. Um, so Lovecraft Country as well, which is pretty good. Uh, Cape Fear, Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear um, from beyond. Color Out of Space, uh, 2009's Occult found footage movie from Japan. Um, Hubie Halloween. Um, <laughs> among the Hall of Greats um, in the canon of the Motion Pixels uh, um, podography. Uh, well, also Halloween. just in American cinema in general. Also, yeah. it's, it's a landmark event, guys. Go out. Come on. Give Hubie a chance. If you be a shot. It'll be among the, the Halloweens. It'll be among the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. It'll be among the dawn of the dead rise of the dead that kind of stuff so it's funny you say that dane because there you know there's kind of like a cognitive limit to the amount of like uh halloween icons we can have you know we have like pinhead from hellraiser like you were saying mike myers from from halloween but unfortunately with the rise of hubster hubie um of hubie halloween fame cognitively freddy krueger has left american consciousness so goodbye freddy krueger freddy krueger's been demoted uh hubie halloween Welcome to the, the Halloween sp- sphere. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Freddie. 
Um, I also watched Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead, uh, The Hills Have Eyes, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, uh, highlight of the month, uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, uh, another highlight of the month. I can't believe I hadn't seen that before. Um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, uh, a weird one. Uh, 1979's uh, Zombie by Lucio Fulci. Fulci? Fulci? I'm not sure. Um, great movie. Uh, Dogs Don't Wear Pants, um, an interesting one. Uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, uh, probably one of the best movies of the month. I'll get into it. Uh, host Rocky horror picture show, uh, smoke and mirrors, which was this documentary about Tom Savini who did the uh, special effects for like Dawn of the dead and a lot of early slasher movies like Friday the 13th on um, the sequels. Um, really interesting guy. Uh, Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser, uh, deep red and tenebrae. Uh, these are two movies that are in the giallo genre, um, which is this Italian film genre from the, uh, I think it started in like the late sixties, early seventies. Um, it's, it's like a mixture of pulp, uh, pulp noir with, uh, elements of what would be later considered slasher movies. So there are these like, uh, detective stories with really intricate plots with a bunch of characters you have to keep track of. And they're whodunits, like who is the serial killer in this movie? The whole movie's a mystery. But they're very early examples of like slasher movies. So you have like um, like a killer killing people left and right. And it's scary and gory and bloody in a way that like other mystery movies weren't. Uh, Giallo genre seems pretty cool. This is my first exposure to it. Um, I also watched The Collector, um, a really shitty movie. Um, it, it was supposed to be in the Saw cinematic universe, but for some reason it didn't end up being in that cinematic universe. Um, but it's like a movie with a bunch of traps and a bunch of people get killed in these traps and it's just not that good. Um, though a lot of the sound movies are good. Uh, I watched behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. Uh, this is a pretty cool one. It was kind of like scream, like a, like a meta horror movie. You guys have seen scream, right? Yeah. 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 It's that same kind of deal. It's this mockumentary about, uh, this guy who wants to be the next, uh, slasher movie, uh, icon. So he's, his name is Leslie Vernon and he has this whole plan to like kill a bunch of, uh, co-eds like high school kids. And, um, this documentary crew is like following him as he's laying out his plan. Um, but it's all like very kind of, I don't know if tongue in cheek is the word, but it's very self-aware, like in the same way that scream is a, like a horror movie about people obsessed with horror movies. It's like that kind of thing. Um, it was decent. Uh, the original Halloween, which I had never seen before I watched, uh, scream. The first Scream I watched, uh, just a classic. I, I, I love watching that movie every year. Uh, I think I watched it last year um, as well when I also did the 31 horror movies, the Halloween grab bag. Um, and last and maybe least, honestly, not least, but close to least, Bone Tomahawk. Um, Matt, I'd I like to like talk that. about Bone Tomahawk with you. I would um, like to hear about Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. So, Dan, you uh, you watched Bone Tomahawk as well at some point? Uh, uh, yeah, a pretty long time. Well, not that long ago, but. Long enough to where I remember most of it. Okay. Um, I just watched it, you know, for this whole thing and it was okay, but it was like an hour and a half of nothing happening until the last half hour of the movie when things happen. And that part was decent, but this is a movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. Bone Tomahawk is like, I guess a cowboy horror film. It's probably the genre that it best fits into. Um, with a great cast, Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, um, of Watchmen thing. Um, who else is in it? David Arquette, Sid Haig, uh, uh, Richard Jenkins, uh, who was very recently in the shape of water, uh, awesome actor. 
Um, who else am I missing? I'm probably missing someone else. This movie had a, lot, had a really stacked cast, but <clears throat> it's about uh, this uh, old West town uh, on the frontier in like probably the mid 1800s. It probably said the probably the movie probably says what year it's set in. I just don't remember. Um, but you know, like cowboy era and this uh, county jail gets raided by these cannibals, these uh, like native American, like almost like mutant cannibals. It's a very like Hills have eyes kind of vibe. Um, this jail gets raided by these cannibals and uh, a guy in the town's wife gets kidnapped. And it's about uh, a group of uh, like three or four dudes from the town, the sheriff and uh, his deputy and some people going to rescue uh, this guy's wife from the, the cannibals who have abducted her. And uh, my problem with the movie is just that the first hour and a half of the movie is just them walking from the town to the caves that the cannibals live in. And I think like, I don't know, I don't, I didn't find the characters particularly likable. So I found that to be kind of hard to get through um, and not, not all that entertaining. Yeah. No, I remember that. Like when I think I'm pretty sure I prefaced with this when we were first talking about it, but that movie is really, really slow. Um, Super and slow. yeah, very, I, I, I remember that too. Like I, I kind of, I, I remember enjoying the journey there, but even in a joint in enjoying it, I felt like it, the slowness went a little too far for sure. I agree with that. Um, I don't really, I can't remember exactly like, uh, what all happened in that period. I just, that movie stuck with me because of that last bit, which oh, the, I, mean, I the, think you're the last to get the- to. Yeah, the last 30 minutes of this movie is is awesome um, and is very scary, but uh, it is, in my opinion, shadowed by just this hour and a half trip across um, like the, the, the desert to get to this this cave system that the, the cannibals live in. And uh, during that during that whole journey, like it, it, uh, you're, you're set up with the relationship of the characters. Matthew, Matthew Fox is also one of the main characters. I forgot to mention him from Lost, the main character of Lost. Um and I don't know, it's just like, rather than establishing tension for that hour and a half of like really hyping up the bad guys that they were going to fight, um, rather than doing that, I, I felt like the movie just had a bunch of uh, monologues that were supposed to build up these characters so that, you know, when drama happens to them, when they encounter the cannibals, um, it, it feels like the stakes are really high. But um, I just didn't, I don't know, it didn't land for me. I didn't get attached to these characters, so it, it felt like more of a slog to me. But when they do encounter the cannibals, there's some crazy shit. Like, I think, Dane, on a previous podcast, when, when you were hyping up Bone Tomahawk, uh, you mentioned that it, it might have one of the more graphic scenes you've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Probably the most graphic thing I've seen in a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, uh, I would probably, uh, I would mostly agree with you. But I say mostly just because that exact same uh, like gore stunt that they do in Bone Tomahawk, this this jail scene. Like if you Google Bone Tomahawk jail scene and you just you don't want to watch the movie, but you want to watch this scene we're talking about, you'll find it. Um, but you should watch it. It's, it's a decent movie. Um, that same like gore stunt, that 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 super brutal thing that occurs uh, in this movie. Uh, I have seen in an, that exact same thing in another movie called Terrifier, which is this movie about like a killer clown. Um, a uh, this killer clown, let's just say he's uh, <laughs> not nice, uh, and he. I don't want to spoil. It's kind of hard to talk about because I don't want to spoil what this what this thing is. But uh, I, I've seen it before, so I think it wasn't as shocking to me as okay. Uh, 
But did they do it with the same like amount of like this movie has a very like grounded sense of realism. Um, Did they do it the same in that same sense? No, no. Okay. Uh, Yeah. See, that's why. Yeah. Terrifier. Yeah. The whole movie movie was very, the whole movie is very like, like Matt said, it's very grounded in a sense of realism. So like when you see it, you're just like, holy fuck, I didn't even think about that happening. Yeah. But there it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's the diff- that, that that makes Bone Tomahawk probably the better movie than Terrifier. Terrifier is like a honestly not a, not a very good movie. It's like a super low budget. I think it might have even been crowdfunded and like slasher movie. Um, but mm. um, they just happen to do that same uh, kill yeah. that they do in Bone Tomahawk. But Bone Tomahawk, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I think what they were going for in the movie was to make to lead you to believe that you are watching a uh, run of the mill cowboy drama, and then this extremely shocking, brutal uh, event happens that, that makes, turns the film into a horror film when it, yeah. it's not a horror well, film. A bunch for the of other like smaller, a bunch of other smaller, like shocking, like things happen where you're just like, you're made to feel uncomfortable or scared by these, yeah. these guys. Like the, the plan that they have for the first hour and a half, of the movie just completely changes. Like, yeah, it, it, <laughs> the movie goes into like, it makes you feel very uncomfortable. I, I and I had come from uh, playing a whole bunch of like, uh, from soft, from soft games, like, uh, you know, I'm playing demon souls in the PS five now. And in those games, they're like, you always feel like you are in an area that you shouldn't be in. Like you're in just very inhospitable territory and there's not a lot of like respite. And the last 30 minutes of bone Tomahawk, like feels a lot like that. Um, like all of a sudden these like confident cowboys who were like, you know, we're going to save the day. They're in this horrifying, horrifying situation. And it's just like, it's like hellish. It's like, uh, I remember Ari Aster in an interview um, about Hereditary when Hereditary first came out said that he wanted it, wanted audiences to feel like they were descending into hell as her in like the crescendo of the drama in, in Hereditary. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Bone Tomahawk is similar in, in theme to that. Yeah, I, it's very strange how Kurt Russell always ends up in these kinds of movies. But to me, it felt like they were trying to and unsuccessfully, I might add, because it is very slow and they don't really pace out the the like drama as well as these movies did. But like The Thing is a really good example of like, mm-hmm. I think what this movie might have been trying to go for. Uh, I, like, ironically, The Thing has Kurt Russell in it. Um, but could you elaborate uh, on that just for people who haven't seen The Thing? Oh, like The Thing is like mostly I mean, like it's it's a it's a monster movie horror movie, but the. <laughs> quote unquote the real enemy is like people getting like suspicious of each other or like bickering or like the drama of being like secluded with a group of people who don't get along is the real problem <laughs> and they have to overcome that in order to uh like deal with what the assumed problem is that's like the overarching theme of of those kinds of movies mm-hmm. and i guess you could say the same thing about a movie like The Hateful Eight, which Kurt Russell is also in, totally. uh, <laughs> where it's like it's really, really slow because they're trying to establish these characters not getting along with each other and having problems with each other. And then it all ends with like an explosive bang. And I think maybe Bone Tomahawk, Tom, Tomahawk, Bone Tomahawk <laughs> was probably trying to go for that. But I think that they just didn't space out the the like exciting parts enough compared to the other, the other two movies, like at least in the thing or something like every once in a while, like somebody will get like, uh, taken out 
and then they have to argue about it for like a half an hour after that or yeah. like in uh the hateful eight where like basically the same thing happens where like uh it's discovered that samuel jackson has a problem with one of the people like it has a history with them and like there's drama surrounding that and all that like that's spaced out like enough to keep people interested in a relatively slow story but uh they kind of like and they uh front loaded but on the other uh, other end opposite of front loaded back loaded all of the interesting like drama at the end of the movie instead of like spacing it out <laughs> yeah and it, it it to me felt like a, a possible budget thing like maybe they just needed to pad out the story because they didn't have the the, the budget to have a whole bunch of like you know fight sequences gore sequences so they they leaned on like character development while they're just walking around this piece of desert that they could they could film in well it would in, be in it would be surprising to me if it was a budget thing because i mean like like think of all like the a-list actors that are in that movie you know what i mean i i got the sense that maybe they blew their budget on all of the a-listers <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> and then skimped so, somewhat on the on the set well pieces. that director he wrote the movie too and like he's never made a movie before that like that's his that's his directorial debut that movie so it's I like mean, already surprising that that he was able to get those people to begin with, but maybe he was like, I don't know. He showed a lot of promise or something, or he had, he had friends in high places, but um, yeah, you could be right that it was like a budgetary problem, but I just, I, I personally, I think that it's, it's as simple as he's a novice writer <laughs> and doesn't really know exactly how to like pace a movie. Yeah. But maybe, maybe be. next time. I mean, like a movie was very well made and very well shot. Uh, so maybe uh, whatever he makes next, if he has already made something next, I, I would be interested in checking it out. I mean, the movie came out in like what, 2016 or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, let's see. Um, I'm on IMDb now. I, w- I was looking into this director because he has put out a couple of movies since. Um, yeah, he's directed four movies at this point. He directed oh, Bone, damn. Tom- Bone Tomahawk in, in 2015, his first film. And then he did uh, Brawl in Cell, Bo- Cell Block 99. Starring Vince Vaughn. Uh, in I've heard of that. In 2018, he uh, directed a movie called Dragged Across Concrete, starring Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. And hmm. he has an upcoming project called Hug Chicken Penny, also starring Vince Vaughn. Wow, Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, Vince Vaughn was not in Bone Tomahawk, so I guess they're just buddy, buddy, buddy now. Uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a feeling that maybe because he was able to like get all these people to being his movie right off the bat that he might like just know people, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's very possible. He's like friends with a lot of, uh, Hollywood people. Yeah. Maybe this guy is like a guy who had been, uh, like a writer or producer for a while and now he's just starting to do yeah. Um, but what, one thing that I, about the stacked cast that I really appreciated was that Sid Haig was in it. So Sid Haig plays like, uh, this drifter at the beginning of the movie who, um, kind of starts the whole storyline, uh, start with the cannibals off like this is he's this like criminal traveling around this older guy traveling with a younger guy like i don't know doing crimes killing people and they stumble upon a native american this cannibal burial ground or like ritual space and that pisses off the cannibals and sets off the whole storyline but sid haig this this older guy this this actor uh, who died last year or, or maybe earlier this year um he was also the star of all of all four of the or of the um uh Rob Zombie um Devil's Reject House of a Thousand Corpses those films and um I just thought it was really cool cuz last last uh Halloween I one thing I did is I went and watched all of Rob, Rob Zombie's mo- movies and mm-hmm. uh, that, I, that I hadn't seen before 
And uh, it was just nice to see this guy again because uh, he's a, he plays Captain Spaulding in House of a Thousand Corpses and he's a really awesome bad guy. And uh, it was cool to see him in this. Um, and he, I think his last movie was the uh, Three from Hell, which was the last movie in that House of a Thousand Corpses franchise, um, which was not very good at all. But um, yeah, that dude died. And it was just a nice little surprise to see him in this one. Well, nice. What do you give the movie out of 10? Uh, probably like a six. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, right. I, I liked it overall. I was just kind of disappointed by it. Um, yeah. I don't think you guys overhyped it. Um, I don't think that was the, the problem. I think it just had some structural issues with the movie. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah. But I, 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 am a, I really appreciate the recommendation because this is a movie that is very up my alley that I did not really know about until you guys told me about it. Well, yeah, the only reason I kept pushing it was because you said you were going to watch it last year and you didn't. So yeah. I wanted yeah, to make I sure that. you watched it this year. Yeah, and I'm glad I did because I, I ended up uh, appreciating it, I would say. Not loving it, but appreciating it. Um, let's see, what are some other standouts? I don't want to go through all of these movies because there's a lot of them. But um, did I already, did- already talk about the zombie shark scene in Zombie? Did I tell you guys about that? Zombie shark? Is no. that with the eyeball? With the eyeball. No. Uh, oh, yes, that is the same movie. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess I already... I told you about it. But hey, you're Dane, talking about just, it last week. Okay, well, just to give Dane the the, the quick 401 or whatever on uh, this movie. So this is a movie called Zombie, which I think is one of the first zombie movies from 1979. Um, there's a scene, dude, where it's like filmed in the Caribbean. And there's a scene where a, a zombie is underwater, like walking on the seafloor by a coral reef, fighting a shark. And this movie was made in the 70s. And it's like all live action. I have no idea how they filmed it. Like I think it looked to me like they actually just like had a guy <laughs> wrestle a shark underwater while dressed as a zombie. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really wow. crazy scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely worth a Google. If you just Google zombie shark scene, because uh, the movie's called zombie. Um, I would definitely yeah. recommend zombie zombie shark scene. Yeah. Zombie zombie shark scene. You can just add as many zombies as you like in there, like depending on how hyped you are about it. And uh, okay. yeah, you can do whatever you want in life. You can do whatever you want. Um, another one. I, I I will do whatever I want, and I do. Uh, cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another movie that I think you guys would really appreciate was called Hell Comes to Frogtown. Uh, yeah. What? A, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is in a series. Matt, do you remember back in high school when I got into this movie called Astro Zombies? Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. So Astro Zombies was this really shitty movie from like the seventies. Um, about these like zombies from space and there's like a sequel to it from like 2007 so there's like a, a sequel that was made to this really shitty movie like 40 years after all the actors are all old and fat but like still doing their their roles in this bad movie and hell comes to frogtown is a very similar kind of deal uh this is a movie from the 80s i want to say it's like uh, sometimes like sometime in the mid 80s it was made um but it's a movie that's not unlike uh in story why the last man if you guys are familiar with that uh, comic series uh it's like post-apocalyptic united states uh the main character is uh rowdy roddy piper the professional wrestler um who was also in they live if you guys have seen that that movie john carpenter film where roddy rowdy roddy piper finds a box of sunglasses uh behind like a factory that when he puts them on he can see like aliens everywhere that are controlling the world um but same guy is the main character in this movie and he is the like one of the last men on earth in this like very fallout style um like dusty post-apocalyptic united states um he's one of the last men on earth who is fertile so uh he's captured by the government 
and made to go to this place called Frogtown to find some human women that have been uh, captured so that he can uh, like bring them back to civilization and impregnate them. And uh, this place is called Frogtown because there was like a nuclear war that the radiation from which turned a bunch of people into frogs. Um, so Matt, in the video for this podcast, if you could right now put the uh, this this picture that I'm going to sh- send you, um, which is one of the main antagonists of the film, a frog man from Hell Comes to Frogtown, who just doesn't want Rowdy Roddy Piper to impregnate these human women for whatever reason. Um, but he's this like frog dude with a uh, 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 a an eye patch. I don't know why. I I sometimes I suck at recalling uh like. Uh, pieces of like jewelry or like attaches like sometimes I call uh, bracelets wrist necklaces like seriously I just like I don't know um, but yeah this guy's wearing an eye patch and uh, he's a frog and he uses a chainsaw as a weapon um, and the prosthetics are are pretty good it's like kind of like a TMNT movie from the 80s but like it takes itself like a lot more seriously and it tries to be this like Mad Maxi adventure horror movie it's not honestly not even horror but it was on shutter so i thought everything on shutter was a horror movie so i watched it um but yeah bad movie bad movie but super Mm -hmm. weird plot that i knew nothing about going in i just picked it because of the weird title hell comes to frogtown and uh i was not disappointed it was a it was worth the watch yeah it sounds like an 80s movie oh it's so 80s it's very like toxic avengers avengery real uh real campy extremely campy um, and I think at the time, maybe Rowdy Roddy Piper was like trying to be, you know, like the rock, like, you know, like wrestler turned movie star. Um, I don't think it worked out terribly well for, for old Roddy, but um, shout out, uh, check out Hell Comes to Frogtown. Um, that was a refreshing one because it was I hadn't watched like a, a truly bad movie in a while. Um, I, I, I did like that. And uh, what's another? Let me think. Uh, oh, yeah, and Hellraiser. I want to give a shout out to Hellraiser, the Clive Barker film uh, from the 80s. Uh, one of my favorite horror movies and I watched it again and it remains one of my favorite Just super gory, weird, sexual horror movie. Check it out if you haven't watched it. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad I watched all these movies because uh, I love movies. And although I love movies, I don't often watch, you know, a movie a day effectively. So uh, it's a it's a cool thing that I am looking forward to do to do again next year. Um, and uh, yeah, it was fun. Now onward to. You know, I guess I got to watch 31 Thanksgiving movies this month. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, what is that? There was like a fake trailer for a movie called Thanksgiving. Oh, thank. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the oh, Eli yeah. Roth. You'll like, be coming home movie. in a body bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I think that they either were planning on making that movie real or they did make it like into a real movie. I forget. Yeah. They but, did that like, with Machete as well. Yeah, yeah, they made a bunch of machete movies now, so it's kind of weird to go back and watch those fake trailers and be like, "Wow, they actually like made machete." Yeah, I love machete, damn. Uh, but yeah, you know, thus concludes the Halloween grab bag, uh, 2020. It uh, it will return next year. Uh, so moving on. Uh, why don't we talk the Queen's Gambit? I've seen this all over the timeline lately. Uh, it's like some sort of chess show. I, I I'm told. <laughs> Some sort of chess show. That's literally uh, all I know about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I'm the only one here who's seen it, so I can talk about my thoughts on it. It's uh, it's really good. I I um, I went into it knowing nothing, which I think helps. But um, but I think anybody could probably enjoy it. 
if they if they know a little bit more about it because it's like um i literally saw like one recommendation of it on twitter and i was like okay i'll check it out and then i watched the first episode and then eight episodes later i was done with it <laughs> like it was just um what and what's weird about it is that the overall i'd say that the show is not challenging or um intense at all like it's very it's very like plain in the best way i don't know how to describe it but maybe it came at the right time in my life or like maybe it came maybe it like is out now in a good time uh in like um, american history or something that's why people are enjoying it because it doesn't like challenge your political leaning it doesn't like make you think about life it doesn't like uh i don't know it doesn't it doesn't have like a um it doesn't have like a, an arc that is like unheard of or anything like that it doesn't like challenge any like societal norms of like making film or tr- or tv it's it's very much like just a really comfy show to watch about a girl who's really good at chess who has her vices and she challenges those vices head on and she makes the best of it and she succeeds and that's like i don't know it was just nice to watch <laughs> i don't know how else to like describe it besides it was just a really nice show that i liked watching <laughs> that remi- this is gonna sound weird but that reminds me exactly of the movie chef yes you know what i that mean that is that is a great yes i 100 percent agree and i've seen chef like five or six times because it's just such a nice comfy movie yeah and uh i highly recommend i mean like everybody it's like a meme kind of like within like the circle of people who used to watch like filthy frank and 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 uh max mofo and idubs and stuff like that but um it's uh it's like unironically a good movie for those exact totally. same reasons i've um, never heard of it oh matt you Sh- gotta watch yeah. chef chef is a it's movie great. i've seen it like three or four times i watched it twice in theaters because it's just like it's you're always gonna come out feeling a little better after watching chef a little more comfy is it a yeah. cooking movie yeah it's a movie with john, starring starring and directed by john favreau of and written Mandal- by yeah and written by uh of the mandalorian and iron man you know the mcu fame uh it's a movie where he plays a like la uh like five-star michelin uh chef who gets tired of like the restaurant industry starts his own um cuban sandwich food truck and travels across the country and he just serves sandwiches to people and then like you know has relationship issues it's great yeah i'll have i'll have infinite recommendations for the movie chef if you like uh movies that are just there to be movies and mm-hmm. to be watched. <laughs> um, John Favreau but, is like just a super talented guy and he channels his just acumen. He's just great at making movies and he channels it in a really simple way. It's a very simple movie. Yeah. It's about, it's like a movie about passion mm-hmm. and like, I think that can anybody who has a passion for anything can relate to it. So and cool. sandwiches, if you like sandwiches, you'll love chef. Oh man. The, the, the shots of food in that movie make me so hungry. I'm like, Oh man, I want to freaking eat those sandwiches. So bad. I love sandwiches. Yep. God, those sandwiches. Those Cuban yeah. Goddamn sandwiches. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I've ever had a Cuban sandwich. Really? Matt, yeah. next time you come to Chicago, there's a great place I, called <laughs> Cafe Cito. I'll take you to. I, okay. I will say this though. The, who's the actress who plays his wife in that movie? In chef, uh, Sofia Vergara. Yeah. That I I always have thought it was really funny how he was probably in charge of the casting. He's like, <laughs> yeah, give me a really disproportionately hot wife for no reason. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like imagining that they were ever married. I'm like, yeah. John Favreau, you could never get <laughs> Sophia. That's, that's like the, impossible. A modern family. Yes. Wait, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's so hot. 
Yeah. <laughs> like every scene where they're like talking like they were cuz like in the movie they they're like um recently divorced and uh every <laughs> time they're talking about cast. like how they were married I was like that no no you weren't ever married that doesn't make any sense but yeah. <laughs> she's she's very good in the movie too. Yeah. <laughs> and then mute that one. Um It's okay Matt edit that but like amplify it just to send a message. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, um yeah yeah so Queen's Gambit. Uh yeah, Queen's Gambit. It's uh it's great in in all those same ways. I will say that like a a big um enjoyment of the uh, cuz like I could say that um it might be boring to some people, but it was entertaining to me um even in the boring parts just because it's very well shot and um it looks really really good. Like uh and I will say this Matt, you did mention that you don't you you're off put by how uh, Anna, Anya Taylor Joy looks. I think that she's really pretty, but I can definitely see how she would look weird to some people because <laughs> she just she's got a very unconventional face. Um, but it, but if if you out there find Anya Taylor Joy's face attractive, then you'll definitely like definitely like the show because there are a lot of shots of her face. <laughs> it's like. It's like the main thing in the movie are shots of her face. And she does a really good job of uh, portraying her character. She's She pay, plays kind of like an antisocial, um, like, weird girl. She, like, grew up as an orphan, and uh, she learned how to play chess from the, uh, the janitor who worked there. And she's just really naturally good at it. She's, like, the definition of a chess prodigy. Um, and it all takes place in the 1960s, so she's always wearing these really, like, elegant really like classy uh, outfits and stuff. So it's like, if you like looking at that a lot, then you'll probably just like them, like watching it. But um, if that doesn't really float your boat, then there's other reasons to like it. I mean, like the, the story is very, um, it's very nice. Like there are a lot of really nice characters and there aren't a whole lot of like moments where you're just like, Oh, I hate that or, or whatever. It's, it's always just kind of like there, the drama is very underplayed. Um, and I don't know. There are a lot of reasons to, uh, seek that kind of thing out, I think, compared to like, uh, other movies and stuff. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds interesting, uh, that it was just my, my comment about her looking off-putting to me was I saw the, like, I keep seeing the thumbnail on, on Netflix and I'm just looking at it and it, it <laughs> sends this message of, I guess what the show's about, about like, I thought it was going to be some like posh british tv Me show too. where this girl's like a chess like a star <laughs> chess player but also i was expecting some sort of like detective plot line like oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah like a downton abbey kind of thing yeah yeah i don't know like it just seemed like one of those shows like it was gonna be like she's like a, a star chess player but also can like she's great at it because she can put all these pieces together while she's like solving crimes or something. I don't know. That's just what I got from it. Just by the, the way the the character looked, but I mean, it sounds cool. And the director, who's that guy? I haven't seen any of his stuff, but I've always heard great things about him. Um, was it David Fincher? No, who is it? No, it's uh that he, he like made that hotel movie. What's it Wes called? Anderson. Yeah. Isn't that it? I think it's no Wes Anderson. Um, is it Dan? I don't know. I think Dan's taking a cough break. Let me look, let, let me look this up real quick. <laughs> You're it's, right. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know who directed this, but the uh, the guy that I would actually like compare this directing style to is Paul Thomas Anderson. That's oh. what I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Man, I but it's not. It's definitely up. not as. It's definitely nothing like 
Paul Thomas Anderson's writing style. I mean, like mostly in the way that the the movie's edited and um, and shot, because there are a lot of um, <laughs> there are a lot of like following someone and uh, looking at the back of their head, tracking shots. If that makes sense. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like where yeah, a character's mean. like walking through a building and like the camera's kind of trailing behind them. Yeah. And you kind of see th- the back of their head. You like hear what's going on and you're like, <clears throat> they're walking through the scene. I know. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There are a, quite a lot of those shots, which I feel very, very inspired by Paul Thomas Anderson. Cause he does that in like every movie, but, um, dude loves next. Huh? Dude loves it- next. <laughs> <laughs> he love Yeah. And it's like, he, he loves dynamic cameras and, uh, there are quite a lot of like noticeable shots of that. Like, there are a lot of really long takes where people walk through environments. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. long, like everybody's everybody who likes movies is always obsessed with long takes for good reason because it's yeah. like, oh, that's cool. But what makes long takes cool to me a lot of the time is when uh, they're going from environment to environment. And there are a lot of shots in this movie where she starts out on the street outside, and then by the end of the scene, she's like in her hotel room. Like she goes from outside on the street. She's she walks in, starts talking with a character is talking with the character like all the way through the lobby, gets into the elevator. The camera is like following through the elevator. They go through the elevator. They go up to the like floor that they're supposed to be on. She talks with this character outside of her hotel room. And then like they both part ways and then they go, she goes into her hotel room and it like ends with her sitting on her bed. Like if you think about like where that shot started and where that shot ended, like that is actually like cool to see. Cause it's like, not only do they have to like get the, the coordination of that down, but the actors have to like, put on a good performance and memorize all their lines, which is like, ends up being like a three or four minute take. So yeah, there are quite a few examples of that in the, in the show that I, that really stood out to me and it was cool to see. Now this is a Netflix show, correct? Correct. Yes. Does it suffer from the Netflix thing where the first couple episodes are awesome? There's like a couple stinkers in the middle and then it ends pretty good. Absolutely not. I would actually say that the first episode, the first two episodes are actually not even very good. <laughs> uh, and the only reason why I kept watching it was because, um, oh, I, I mean, like, you'll discover this as you as you watch it, but the first two episodes are actually just of her childhood. There's, like, a cold open with her um, being an adult, and, like, it, it uh, plays through a scene that you return to later. But after that first scene, it just goes back to her as a child, and then her, like, in the orphanage, and then, like, her experiences as a little girl in the orphanage is like the first two episodes. And the first two episodes I was like, uh, I thought Anya Taylor Joy was in this. Like I was like really confused because it like never goes back. I thought it was just going to go from her childhood back to like, it was going to flip flop between them, but it gets all of her childhood, childhood shit out of the way in the first two episodes. And then it goes into the like adult version, uh, storyline from, from like beginning to end after that. And those are the episodes that I think are the best. So, like, the first two episodes actually aren't even really that good because it's all backstory. But it's all really important, so... Okay. It's, like, it's not, like, totally useless. But they are definitely the weaker episodes in the beginning, believe it or not. Does it have good, uh, like, child uh, child version of the character to adult version of the character resemblance? Um, good enough. Like, it's, it's not perfect, but it's, like, it didn't take me out of the movie. Uh, I would say that the child actress that they got to play her did a really good job embodying her personality. Like she retains her personality uh, from child to adult. Like the, the character is uh, she's, she's kind of like autistic 
in a way, like where she's not very good at um, like socializing. She's often very direct with people. Uh, she only speak. She doesn't speak very often, but when she does, she's usually right, like right to the point. And that was like definitely like her as a kid was just like, "What are you doing?" or like, "How do I do that?" But otherwise, she doesn't really speak much. She mostly observes. And that that character trait, like you could see that uh, in her adult performance too, which I thought was interesting. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There. If if. I would say that if you just feel like watching a, a very unchallenging but entertaining show, then The Queen's Gambit is like, it's like eye candy for like people who just like watching like good, like well shot stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But if you're just like looking for like a, like a, a thriller ride, if you're looking for um like a Uncut Gems 2 or something, like it's definitely nothing like that. But if you're looking for a chef like, then you've got it. If you're looking for a chef light or a chef light or, or <laughs> I, chef said like. chef, I said chef like, but chef light, you know, maybe if it doesn't have quite <laughs> as many sandwiches as chef, you could consider it a chef. Yeah. Light. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very much like that. Yeah. I would say that it's better shot than chef. That's yeah, for sounds sure. Like, sounds like it. Like it's definitely more of an artistic movie than chef is, but it's also really cool because I like the idea of chess and I like the idea of honing a skill and becoming the best at something like that is, uh, in my competitive nature as a, as a gamer. So, uh, <laughs> as an NG main, <laughs> as a freaking engineer main in TF2, I mean like, um, I don't know. I, I was worried. I I would worry that if I was recommending this show to somebody who doesn't like understand the idea of like um, becoming good at something just for the sake of saying that you're good at it, uh, then maybe there would be no relation there, because like that's like kind of a enti- the entire point of the of the show. Like there isn't really much else to relate to, unless I mean her her vice is that she struggles with drug and alcohol dependency. She's like kind of a a mess in that department and she lets it take control of her life. And it's kind of like the if you were to like analyze her arc, then her arc would be to overcome that because she starts abusing drugs very early on. And then it shows up later as like alcoholism. So that's maybe not if, something I if that's something from that show. <laughs> yeah, same. No, it's a huge part of it actually. And I don't relate to it, but I imagine anybody else who has struggled in that department would find that, um, interesting as like a, a character development thing so yeah it sounds honestly it sounds great it sounds very up my alley sweet go check it out okay god how many times do i have to fucking ask you one more time can you please go check out queen game it please yeah thank you okay cool <laughs> <laughs> uh okay speaking of okay uh the boys season two um so matt i excitedly told you recently that I'd started the boys and I like binge watched the first season and I I liked it a lot. Um, But the second season is just as good as the first season. But I think I've, I I will also disclaimer say, I think I'm on the last episode of the second season. Um, It's just, I think it's just as good as the first season. But as the show has gone on, I have realized that the boys is an extremely one note show. Yeah. It is a, it's a like for anyone who doesn't know it is a uh series about uh s- superheroes uh being real in the world uh there is a IRL justice league called the 7 and spoiler alert the 7 are mean uh but they're kind of worshiped similarly to how uh like marvel marvel heroes are today um like they're 
their faces are all over uh, products. There's product placement everywhere. Everyone seems to generally just think that superheroes are awesome. And the show is about a group of people who are trying to take them down because they, they find out a bunch of horrible stuff that these superheroes have done. And um, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to. But I mean, it's just like it's like a, it's a show about a group of people on a mission to kill a bunch of superheroes. And yeah. um, I my problem with it is that they use the same tropes throughout the whole show. The whole show is like we found out dirt on this person. We're going to go talk to this person, use that dirt on them and say, we're going to publish this in a newspaper or whatever, unless you do something for us. And then that leads them to another person that they have dirt on that they're going to threaten to blackmail with. And the blackmailing happens like 20 times in this show. The whole show is just people holding information, you know, like, oh, you're a superhero. You did something bad. I'm going to tell people you did something bad. No, you can't tell them I did something bad. Okay, I'll tell you whatever you want. I'll tell you the bad thing this other person did. And I get it. Like, I understand that this show is about, like, imagining a world where superheroes existed and were secretly evil. Um, but I, I found it just I just kind of like, uh, what's the term for it? Um, I just, I, I felt like I knew what was around every corner as I'm going through the show. It's very predictable. Um, maybe, I don't know, like that. Yeah, that that trope is used a lot, but I felt a lot of this stuff in season two. They kind of just like threw out there, especially with the um the how do I not spoiler this? Um, You want to just talk about like a certain episode? Uh, I, I guess I can say it. There's just like random heads that will pop. Yeah, it's a know? very sh- like the shot. The show is also another trope that they use all the time is like shock value. There's just extremely shocking things that happen. Yeah. Like, People will be talking that all of a sudden someone's head explodes and everyone's like, oh, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that, that doesn't happen that often, but they definitely. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah, they, uh, they, use, oversold it. they use gore a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the parts that like, I don't that's know. It, it's that's not one of like my a, favorite parts of the show. I yeah. Think, like, I mean, the gore in the show is awesome. If you watch it, I, I just think I was expecting a little more like story wise out of the boys. But purely eye candy wise, it's great. It's like if you have you ever watched a Marvel movie and wanted to see like Iron Man actually chop someone in half, like when he's shooting those lasers, like, you know, he probably would in real life. If you want to watch that, like the boys has that it's it's full of that kind of thing. Yeah. Like and I think the like I like watching that show, not because I do like the plot because it's just constantly like what I'm kind of just waiting for the show to end with Homelander, like unraveling and just killing everybody. Like Homelander is like their version of Superman. Yeah. Everyone loves. Yeah. I'm just watching it for for it to get to that point. But like, I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I think there's a lot of ways they can go with it. Um, He's great. The guy who plays Homelander is really good. Yeah. I really like that character. I I find it interesting. Like it's this, like to give it Superman, right? Like he, is invincible. He is the strongest of all the superheroes. And if he wanted to, he could kill everybody. But the thing that stops him from being a a completely evil character and what keeps him under control is like people's love for him because he's dependent on it. So it's like this weird thing where you, he's like mentally unstable and you see that going through the show and he'll like be rocking back and forth. Um, and they even touch a little bit more on it in season two. Uh, 
<laughs> like that one, like, you know, that one seed with the crowd I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and he's, he's constantly rocking back and forth, but like the, the way everything stays in check is that if he just became like, uh, you know, mass murderer, then everybody would hate him and he would feel bad inside. And it's like yeah. the, like the, the death of humanity the, or the thing that could cause humanity to crumble is kept in check by humanity. I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting. Like his, ador- I, I like he lot wants of, to be adored. I've heard a lot of people say that the boys, if superheroes were real in the real world, the way the boys portrays how they're perceived publicly, it would be very accurate. And I would probably agree with that. Like they're basically the the superheroes in the boys are kind of managed by this gigantic company, not unlike Disney. It's just this huge mega corporation that has its fingers in across all different industries and also happens to uh, totally control the careers of of all of the superheroes. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see it. I, I, I think it's a pretty well done uh, exploration of, you know, what if superheroes were real? Um, similar to like, like I was joking in a PPC pre-pod conversation, uh, that the boys is Watchmen, but dumb. And I would stand by that. Like, it's really like Watchmen takes, uh, tropes of superheroes and like kind of flips them upside down and like shakes them for their lunch money and goes in different directions that you might not expect. And the boys does that same kind of thing. I just don't think that the boy, the boys is not as like thematically ambitious as, as Watchmen has been. Oh Yeah. For sure. Um, it's really just like, it's kind of like uh, self-indulgent. It's like, oh, you want to see like, if su- like what would happen if Superman, uh, you know, was having set, had like crazy sex with another superhero. Like yeah, you can watch that here. Like yep. it's, it's very, uh, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good. Uh, if you, if you know what you're getting into, uh, the boys is a, is a very well-made show. And Dane, you haven't seen it at all. No, I haven't. I've only seen a few um, like clips on, on YouTube and stuff. Uh, so that's like pretty much my only exposure to the show. You sounded kind of resistant to watching it. Like what put you off about it? Uh, well, one, I don't care about superhero stuff. Like the superhero aspect of it does not interest me at all. So there's that. But also just based on the, um, on the clips I've seen, it doesn't look visually very good. See, it's it's <laughs> um, funny you say that, Dane, because the comic that it's based on I never, I, I'm familiar with it. It's like a pretty popular comic, The Boys, but I never touched it because the art is just, I hate it. It's so ugly. Well, I don't know if they're trying to make the show as ugly as the comic, but uh, the show looks like it was, it, like, when I saw a couple of the, the clips on YouTube, like, it maybe it was because I was watching it on YouTube, but it looks like a YouTube show. Like it looks like something that like Freddie W would make, you know, it looks, you know, remember Freddie uh, W it, it's it, better than that. <laughs> it no, must've right. been the clips, but like, it's definitely no, not groundbreaking the, cinematography. Well, it, no, I'm it, not even talking does, about the cinematography. I'm talking about like the visual effects are yeah, terrible. No, I, I, I've <laughs> seen Fre- like quarter digital Freddie W all those CGI YouTubers. <laughs> it looks better than that for sure. It, I know. Well, uh, speak for yourself. I think that it looks about. Uh, it, I mean, it's like maybe ten percent better. <laughs> I, I mean, it, from all the scenes I've seen, I don't know. Like, if you have a one in particular, like, like I'm sure the CGI <laughs> lacks sometimes. Like, but I don't. I don't know. I. I think it's just. Whole, it, it, it was, was just really distracting <laughs> in the in the ones that I did in the in the few that I did see. Yeah, it's, I mean, like I'm probably watching them out of context, so maybe like the gravity of the scenes or whatever more important and it like distracts people 
but like i don't know like the the light i'm like to refresh my memory i'm like just pulling up random clips on youtube like the the shot composition the lighting is just so it looks like it was shot on like a dslr yeah (laughs) you know what i mean like the shot composition is pretty like it's like every shot in the show is kind of color corrected to look like the baseball scene from twilight yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a good comparison actually I will so like therefore I mean like I'm not saying that like I refuse to watch it just on those grounds but but it's just like one I'm not very interested in the subject matter and two like it doesn't like I could probably be okay with like um subject matter that's not interesting to me or or like even bad storytelling if the actual movie itself looks good and is presented good because I realized something about myself pretty recently actually um, a lot of people who are really into movies, I've noticed, seem to care about storytelling and like characters and stuff. All of the like stuff that makes like a good story good first, and then visual presentation they care about like second. But I feel like I'm like the opposite in a way. Like I care very much about like visual presentation, and even if the story isn't very good if the visual presentation is really good then i'm okay with it i'm not talking about like uh like visual effects or whatever i'm talking about like the way that the movie is shot and the way that the movie is like lit and if it looks really good then it's like oh this is like worth watching to me yeah even if even if i'm not like invested in the story you know what i mean yeah it's definitely not that it's very like I don't know. It's very on par with the Marvel movies in a way. Like not like like a lot of the Mar- some of the Marvel movies are really good, but you know a lot are just kind of like eh. Like I don't know. This this show is like almost like the Iron Man three era <laughs> yeah, of Marvel it's, movies. Like it's, it's like it's a grittier po- Marvel film. Yeah, and it's just like it's popcorn and it's it's fun to talk with because like sometimes like crazy shit will happen and you'll talk about an episode with somebody. But like, it's yeah. definitely not like I would go out and recommend this show to everybody when watching it. Like, it's very just if you're into it, then it's like it's a good time. But I can see plenty of yeah. reasons why somebody wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't find a whole. I, I think, Matt, I Dane. So you're saying that you gravitate towards like movies and TV shows that have like really high production value and the cinematography is awesome. Um, I think uh, I'm I'm similar. Uh, in what I gravitate towards. And I also gravitate towards uh, like franchises, uh, movies and TV shows that I can really like sink my teeth into and like really get into the the world of. And um, I think the boys does like a, a decent job of that, but um, I just don't think it, it it's no watchman it nails dude. it. It's no watchman. And yeah. it's like, I don't know, there's going to be some spinoffs of the boys and I'd be interested to see where those go. Because the world they set up with this giant mega corporation that manages all these superheroes, it's interesting, but I don't it's think it's, it's not doing anything so differently that I need to know more about this, yeah, uh, like, this world. They announced that spinoff show, because I guess this is like Amazon's, one of their more recent hits that is pretty big. So they're doing, you heard about the, what is it, high school spinoff or college spinoff? Did you hear about that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think high series. Yeah, I I think that's gonna be awful. Like, I don't know. The world's cool, but it's not like there is no there's no concept like red formations. You know, like uh, like in yeah. Watchmen, there's not like history that they like go through. And I want to discover more about this world. It just seems very like probably like so many shows 
the timelines diverged slightly after World War II, and now the world's in this weird state like 80 years later, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if most, most things still happen for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the uh so in Watchmen, I think that I think the comparison is fair. Even though quality-wise, they're they're Watchmen is like in a league of its own, like the HBO series, the book and the movie over the boys. But I think the oh, the comparison 100%. is very fair because they go for kind of the same kind of thing. Um and the the re, the societal repercussions of what happened in Watchmen with Dr. Manhattan fighting on the side of the United States in the Vietnam War, um and all of that and the red formations, the like reparations paid to like descendants of of slaves in the United States in the Watchmen TV show. Um all of those things feel so substantially uh different than the society we have now that it's it it really gives you something to sink your teeth into because yeah, that's like, what's wow, cool like, about you it. Really want to you really want to learn about the world. But in the boys, it's more like a parody of the world we live in now, where it's like, what if society was similar to how it is now? Very divided, you know, but and people are really into superheroes, but those superheroes are real. And it doesn't really go too much farther than that. Like there are mega corporations that are controlling a lot of things in the society we live in now. And the boys plays on that, but doesn't like go in a drastically different like historical direction. Yep. And that's what I mean. Like they, yeah. the bad guys in, I mean, they're not even, you know, they, they go to the middle East and fight people at some point in the boys, yeah. you know? And it's like, it's like, yeah, that's our world. Like that's, I don't know. Like it, it's very close to home. Like they don't do that in Watchmen. I wouldn't be surprised if that war had never even happened in Watchmen. Cause they like take their timeline in such a weird direction, which is really neat. Yeah. God, you know what? Should we talk about Watchmen? Because I know Dane finally watched it. Oh, yeah. Do we have time? Yeah, dude, I, we'll cut know, stuff. It. Yeah. We're not cutting uh, shit. This is this is our podcast. We make the rules. I mean, Well, yeah. you can cut this part because uh I was I just wanted to let you guys know I I got to go in like 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think we have time to talk about Watchmen. Oh, okay. But okay, I would like it. to uh, some other time. Yeah. I yeah. can't believe we forgot about that. Yeah, I know cuz Watchmen is just like been one of my favorite things to talk about in this whole past year. So I'm really happy that you you watched it so we we could we could talk about it but I love, you know, let letting the the viewers and listeners let them sit in the filth of their desire to hear us talk about it for one more week or whatever. <laughs> um, Sweet. But yeah. Well, uh, well Dane, we could, what do you what do you want to hit in your last 10 minutes? Yeah. What? This you, is the, this what do is I want the Uncle D corner. This is the what's the Matt, no no Matt, no no no. Matt, we what's have the segment uh, name? you guys wrote down that you wanted to talk about Mandalorian, Tekken, and PS Five. All three of those things I don't know anything about. So <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the PlayStation Five. Uh, I got a PS Five. Um, apparently, a lot of people didn't, so I feel very fortunate. Like a lot of people just weren't able to like, find a pre order, or you know, like a lot of people are in bad financial. I've been seeing a lot of people on Twitter saying they've been struggling trying to find a PS Five. Yeah, and I guess I just got lucky with an Amazon pre-order, and uh, I got it. Came just fine. Haven't had a lot of bugs with it or anything. Um, and it's great. Uh, the PS5 is super snappy. Uh, the interface to the system is a whole lot, a whole lot better, uh, more ergonomic, I'd say, than the the PlayStation 4's interface, which just had a lot of like loading times all over the place. Uh, I don't know. Kind of hard to nav, kind of hard to navigate. Some people may disagree with that, but I think the PlayStation Five improves improves upon a lot of that. Um, and the uh, the load times in games is are just snappy. It, it it all feels it all feels very good. Um, and th- I think this is the same probably if you have a high end gaming PC right now, 
same kind of deal, but it's all integrated, you know, in a nice video game console package with PS5. So, you know, the hardware and everything, pretty cool. It's fucking gigantic. It's like almost yeah. as tall as my TV. It's kind of um, distracting. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. weird. I, I can like post a picture. Like you, we can maybe show a picture of what my PS5 looks like sitting on next to my TV. And it's just, it's like distractingly large. Well, it's, how big is your TV? I have a 50 inch, um, 50 inch TV. And, uh, mm. and yeah, the PlayStation is like 70% the height of my TV uh, sitting next to it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild. But uh, the only game I got um, is Demon Souls. Uh, the remake of Demon Souls, and it's got to be one of the better looking games I've ever played. Um, it's it's just that like the level of detail that you see in this in this game is just wild. Um, super super high definition. Um, it feels uh feels all very new. Um, and the game the game itself is awesome. I've been like totally attached to it. I'm like maybe uh a little less than halfway through the game. Uh, my first playthrough, I think right now. Um. It's really good. I, in preparation for it, I've been playing a bunch of Bloodborne and uh, it has transferred because I feel like I'm finally like good. Like I finally gotten good at these games that everyone tells you to get good at. These from software games. Um, and I've been having a great time. It's cool. What do, what do you guys think of uh, the PlayStation 5, Dane? Do you have any inclination to get it? Are you interested at all? How many takes? Uh, no. Cool. <laughs> all right, bye. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have a PC. Oh, okay. And I, I I generally play games where a mouse and keyboard is like the preferred mode of uh, of control. So, like if I played more games where the controller was like the the main like ideal way to play something, then maybe I would like. But I don't know. Uh, I don't. I like a lot of first person shooter stuff. So yeah, consoles are not the best place to play first person shooters. Most definitely. Yeah. And honestly, like these this console. Well, great. Seems feels to me like a great luxury to have. Um, like if you have a PC that plays games, like you're probably used to games looking about as good as they do on the PS5. Um, the controller is cool; has all this crazy haptic feedback. Like the controllers are some sometimes like the the triggers have like resistance on them sometimes. Um, kind of interesting, but I mean altogether, um, I feel like this generation of consoles is like the you have the least incentive in a while to uh to get them. Because like PC gaming is so ubiquitous, um, way more than it was back when the, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One came out. Yeah. I suppose. The thing that's like, I've been in this boat with Sony consoles since like the PS4. I've wanted to get one because the, the thing that draws me to it is Sony has like a good first party lineup like Nintendo does now. Like I got a Switch because I wanted to play Nintendo stuff. And I've wanted a Sony console for a while because I want to play like... I really, I had a PS3. I really liked Uncharted. Um, I just like Naughty Dog and Insomniac. Like I had PlayStations growing up and all those games those publishers put out are pretty cool. But it's like all I would play on it. And while they are cool, they're, I don't know, they're not like the games that I would play routinely. Like I, like I have a very set number. I have like games that I'll play like regularly, you know, like, like right now, it's like TFT and Magic and like other games I keep coming back to. And the Sony console would be like a way to play these games I'll spend, I don't know, like eight hours on and then not play yeah. anymore. And then there's not like, like the Switch is cool because it's like a handheld. So I can be like, oh, well, it's like having like a Game Boy. So my PC can't do that. But the PlayStation, it's like for literally everything else that aren't these first party games, it's pointless for me to get it. 
And then on top of that, the they're doing the whole and like it's it's fine. I'm cool with it. But like Sony's like pushing this seventy dollar seventy dollar game thing with oh, it now. Rough, so it's like if I got a PS5, it's like okay, I can play Demon Souls, which is a game I played ten years ago, and I liked Dark Souls more than it. And it's I mean this Demon Souls remake. It's I the mean, same. It's- it's the same, but it's like it looks good. But good. I like Dark Souls more. Like I, you know, I played Demon Souls, and then I played Dark Souls, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Because this is what I wish the first one was. So it's like I'm just saying, like that's why, like I haven't tried really hard to get a PS5. Like I'm probably get one eventually, because like I have the whole PS4 backlog I want to play, but like nothing's really like pushing me towards it. And also, I hate the color. It's pretty ugly. I think yeah. if you guys have watched Shit's Creek, my favorite comparison. <laughs> to the PS5 what it looks like is that the PS5 looks kind of like Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek. I haven't seen that show, but I, some, someone out there will I've enjoy that. <laughs> I think it can probably only be aesthetically like pleasing to somebody who already has like white things in their house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, it but, looks so weird. But nobody it does. Looks so weird in my, in my setup. I hate yeah. white gaming controllers. Like I'd be fine if the console was white. Like I don't really care. But I had an Xbox 360, and that controller got nasty. Oh, yeah. It's like, like yellow now. Yeah, yellows. And it's like, if I, the PS5 controller, like, yeah, it's cool, but it's going to have, like, my hand grease on it after, like, yeah. a year. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm going to wait. I was very on board early on. I was big on the hype, but I kind of fell off, and yeah. I will, we'll I will say, so, I mean... I also hope that they drop a like black version of the controller, like all black because white, you know, just like I, w- I've only played it for a couple of days, the PlayStation five. And I already had to like kind of clean the God, controller. Really? Just it gets a little, it gets, yeah, it gets like Ugh. a little gunky from my hands, which is kind of gnarly, but um, and I'm a generally hygienic person. So, you know, I think it would probably happen to most people generally as well. hygienic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the controller is like, is really cool. Like a lot of people, I, in impressions of the PlayStation five I've seen have hyped up the controller. And I don't think that's for a bad reason. Like the PlayStation five's controller feels very next gen. Like the, this game called Astrobot's playroom, uh, comes with the game and it's like a four, like three to four hour long, uh, like kind of Mario Odyssey style game that takes place inside of a PlayStation five and like shows you like, there's like a world set in the GPU jungle and the, like the CPU is kind of your hub. Um, but it shows you this game has all these mechanics that show you the crazy haptics that they built into the controller. And uh, like when you're shooting a bow, an arrow, pulling back the like the, the right or left triggers, it, the triggers give you resistance that feels like you're drawing back a string. It's it's really remarkable. And uh, you, you just kind of have to see it. You have to feel it to like believe it, I guess, because it's probably not that interesting to hear people talk about how something feels. But um, it's worth checking out if you if you do happen to uh, get your hands on a on a PlayStation. The controller uh, is very different from from what you've seen in other controllers. Yeah, it, that's like one of the more appealing parts of the console to me. And I'm bummed because I read something that Sony isn't going to allow people to develop control like or feedback mechanisms for that. Um, on PC games. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah. Cause I was thinking what? about getting the controller just to like try that, but reportedly like there, you have to be on the ah. PS five to utilize those features, which sucks. Cause like cross platform games like Fortnite 
already launched their changes for the PS5 to take advantage of those controller settings. Oh, but if you use it on PC, you can't get it. Which is like... It really sucks. Yeah. Like, Sony's doing a bunch of, like, weird anti-consumer shit. Like, yeah. just just slightly, though. Like, uh, a cloud saves PS5, you need to have PS Plus. Or else you just get no backups. Like, you can't oh even God. do, like, USB backups anymore. It's all just, like... Cool. You need, you need to pay for the Plus thing if you want to do that. Like, I don't know. There, there's a couple other examples I can't remember, but, like, Sony's doing the whole, like... They're 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 cutting. I don't know. They're not cutting corners, but they're getting away with things where they know they can, since they yeah, have like, like like Apple, like they cornered a market, so they're just kind of like screwing people in very minor ways to keep them in a big walled garden. Yeah, I don't know, it's it's dumb. I don't. It is upsetting. Yes. Um. And speaking of upsetting, um. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just trying to think of a seg- segue. Uh, I think that about wraps well, before it up. you before you segue to uh, the next topic. I'm gonna have to say goodbye. Oh, you that's, that, can, that's what guys, I was segueing to. I was segueing to a to a goodbye. I thought you guys were gonna continue talking about like Tekken and Mandalorian. No, dude, Tekken and Mandalorian are bullshit. Who gives a shit about that? <laughs> that's so <laughs> fucking true. God, I'm so right. Um, but yeah, everyone, uh, this has been the Motion Pixels podcast. Uh, I have been your co-host. August Meyer, uh, August say goodbye. Goodbye. Joined by my lovely co-host, Matthew Rawlings. Matthew, say goodbye. <gasps> goodbye. And graciously joined by Dane Kevin Cook, the baddest boy of comedy. Dane, say goodbye. Goodbye. Because this has been the Motion Pixels Podcast. Bye. finished call me baskin robbins bitch because i had 31 flavors of horror last month my god uh (laughs) yes how long Uh, have you been waiting on that dude that one was just off the fucking dome